Welcome to Mimble Mimble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Aishwarya. I am Prashantri. Today's episode is called Hermione and Ron's friendship ends. In this episode, we are going to cover the events of chapter 11, the Firebolt and chapter 12, the Petronas. Let's start with the summary. Harry is still reeling from the shock of what he overheard in Three Broomsticks. He's angry, confused because so many people including Hagrid knew that Sirius Black is the reason his parents are dead but did not tell him. Instead of confronting Hagrid, he offers to help Hagrid defend Buckbeak the hypocrite whose only crime was attacking an influential man's son. The dreary mood is lifted briefly by the arrival of an international standard broomstick, the Firebolt. Hermione is suspicious of the fact that someone sent Harry an expensive broomstick and it is not Professor McGonagall. She causes McGonagall to confiscate the broom, leading to a rift within the trio. Sybil Trelawney makes a surprise appearance in the small Hogwarts Christmas dinner, brings attention to the fact that Lupin is ill. The term starts and with that comes Wood. He takes it as his personal task to harass McGonagall and get Firebolt back. Meanwhile, Lupin starts teaching Harry how to get rid of Dementors because Harry does not want to faint during the Gryffindor versus Slytherin match that is coming up. He also learns that the ministry has announced that if Sirius Black is caught, his soul will be sucked out of his body with a Dementor's kiss. McGonagall and the other test and find out that there is nothing wrong with the Firebolt and return it to Harry. Harry and Ron are so overjoyed that they almost make up with Hermione. But all hell breaks loose when Scabbers goes missing and Ron finds evidence of Crookshanks' involvement. It seems as if Ron and Hermione's friendship ended. Harry is shocked after what he hears in Three Broomsticks. He comes back to the school through the same secret passageway. He feels betrayed that no one told him about Sirius Black and how he's involved in his parents' death. And I agree. I think his feeling of betrayal and his anger is completely justified. I think this is one of the f- earliest incidents in the series where we realize how much of a disadvantage Harry is at with respect to his own history, right? Like he finds out by eavesdropping on a random conversation in a in a pub that, you know, his parents' his best friend betrayed them and caused their murder. No wonder he's taking it so hard. Yeah, even Ron and Hermione don't get a chance to talk to him the whole day. He's not interested in talking to them or hearing what they will have to say about it. And I think the sense of betrayal that he has is double because he goes back to the album that Hagrid gave him at the end of his first year and realizes that Sirius Black is in it. Like he's been in it the whole time and Harry just didn't know who that was. Yeah, he confirms that the best man is indeed Sirius Black. Young, handsome and unrecognizable, but still it was him and he was laughing at the camera. And he thinks about whether at this point during the wedding Sirius Black was thinking about getting his parents murdered. Those are hard things to reconcile yourself with no matter how old you are. And Harry's just 13. But you know what? I feel like all this information finally starts to humanize Lily and James Potter. For so long they have been these mythical figures in Harry's life. Everybody who's ever met his parents except Snape seemed to talk about them like they were larger than life, godlike angels walking <laughs> on earth. They were good, they were kind, they were brave. But Harry's now learning that they were not infallible yeah and that they made mistakes too yeah his father was a troublemaker in school and he got murdered because he was the one who probably put his trust in the wrong person and he would have probably thought that his parents stood up against voldemort and died fighting him 
but he now knows that they were actually hiding from him and when voldemort found them it was definitely not a fight his mother was trying to trade her own life for harry's life that was the amount of power they had in their hands in this whole situation in case we were thinking that the whole showdown between his parents and voldemort was a completely voluntary act like his parents went and confronted voldemort and defeated him well we were completely wrong we still don't know the reason for voldemort's attack it's clear that voldemort came after his parents and not the other way around yeah i'm sure that on some level harry thought of his parents as these amazing heroic people even though he doesn't know much about them but this level of detail into the past definitely makes them real it does i feel like over the series we get so few details about james and lily potter that every little bit just seems more tantalizing than the previous bit yeah that by not writing about them jk rowling has made them memorable for the entire fan base yeah and that's definitely a story that is very intriguing you really want to find out what went down that night whose parents really were the whole bit about james and sirius black being friends just like elevates the story everybody right now would be interested to know hogwarts as it was when james and sirius black studied in hogwarts yeah yeah but the only people who know about it are the people that harry is not talking to like who like snape or as we find out in the next chapter lupin yeah harry imagines the whole showdown between sirius black and peter pettigrew in the public place just to increase his hatred for him i guess and it's interesting to note that in his imagination peter pettigrew looks like neville longbottom you know i think the same thing of the actors they sort of look like a little bit it's just they both have round faces so i think it's just character description warrants that kind of a face a little mm-hmm. gullible and a little cowardly a little gullible but brave because peter pettigrew did go after someone who he knew was more talented than him yeah that's true the appearance needs to be cowardly like you wouldn't expect them to go after anybody just like neville longbottom stood up against harry ron and hermione in book 1 you did not expect neville to do that that's the kind of appearance that yeah. they were going for probably so harry has a terrible night's sleep understandably and he looks horrible the following day he wakes up really late and he goes down to the common room and hermione is sitting there with her homework spread across three tables and i love it when hermione is sitting in the common room and working that's a very soothing nice image that i always get in my mind <laughs> there's something very like cozy about it yeah near the fireplace she does a lot of hard work i just appreciate the fact that sometimes she gets to do it in a very comfortable place yeah <laughs> Ron and Hermione would have been really worried this whole time. I can imagine what would have been going on in their minds. Harry is not talking to them. They know Harry well enough to understand what he will be thinking right now. They know that there is a very thin line between Harry and safety right now. He'll break it at yeah. any point and go after Sirius Black and Hermione does not even pretend to be thinking about something else. I thought Hermione's appeals to Harry were based sometimes in reason she says things like the dementors will catch black and sometimes in emotion where she literally says please be sensible and i feel like she doesn't have an accurate read on harry which is why she's going for these two routes even though i'm sure ron and hermione have both practiced what kind of beats they will you know hit while talking to harry i thought ron was very mature when he talks about black with harry rather than goad his anger 
he works to point out how dangerous black is not in a way to stoke the fire for harry but just to say like listen you you are a kid and he's a full blown wizard and there's no way that if you went and confronted him now that you'd be able to survive the confrontation just fine but he's also angry which shows in how terse he is with his responses to harry like he sounds angry even as he's replying to him like what do you think you'll go after him i didn't read it as angry i thought it was intense panic towards the end of the conversation it does downgrade to intense panic but i think at the beginning at least when harry is talking about how malfoy knew and he didn't know ron is angry yeah he is like you will listen to advice from malfoy but not me which is a very fair stance to take because really harry is going off malfoy who has every reason to lead harry wrong yeah nothing would delight malfoy more than a humiliated harry or a hurt harry so yeah. i understand where ron is coming from yeah ron and hermione can look at this logically and conclude that going after serious black would be suicide but mm-hmm. harry is too emotionally connected to think of it that way honestly what else can you do if you are in his position and this is harry we are talking about he rightfully thinks that azkaban is just not enough punishment for black because like fudge said black does not seem to be affected by the dementors anyway which is a serious misconception i think because harry does not know what askaban is like and he doesn't know how deranged black is because of the dementors or not but you're right it is very like understandable how harry feels that way because he just found out that his entire life people who he trusted people who have told him about his parents have left some serious gaps in the truth so that when ron suggests that they go visit hagrid and harry is like you know what let's go visit hagrid i'm going to ask him why he didn't tell me i was actually rooting for harry i hoped that harry would have the chance to go and confront hagrid about it because hagrid has told him about his parents hagrid told him about voldemort in book 1 hagrid even gave him a book with pictures of his parents saying he collected it from their friends but did not tell him anything about black I understand where the anger is coming from but Harry has never made an effort to find out more about his parents and their death why would they volunteer this information when he never asked I know but I would understand it not coming from someone like say Dumbledore with whom he has never even discussed his parents or someone like McGonagall with whom he hasn't even talked about his personal life but Hagrid and he have an emotional connection right they are sort of like friends because Hagrid has taken that role upon himself and to find out that someone who you thought was your friend and is being open with you about the things that they know you realize that they have kept such big things from you i can understand the anger yes harry did not openly seek information about his parents he did not go to hagrid and say tell me everything you know about your parents and then hagrid left out this information i get it but harry thought that the relationship was open but it's not the number of things harry doesn't know about his parents is much higher than what he knows and partly that's his doing i don't think he wants to learn too much he only learns when he's put into these positions where he confronts something that is deep inside him the thirst of knowing more because if you notice harry actually never pines after his dead parents you never see him miss his parents also the first time you see him having these feelings is when he looks at the mirror of eraser and finds his parents that was probably a surprise to even him because i think he is surprised emotion about his parents anyway and the second time you see it it's actually happening in this chapter this is the second time in 3 years where we see him miss his parents and that's when Lupin is teaching him the anti-dementor spell and he's afraid that there's a tiny part of him that wants to hear more of his parents 
but then he tells himself that they are dead and they'll never come back and he needs to learn how to do it this is honestly the first time he talks to himself and addresses that part of him that misses his parents i would chalk it up to jk rowling's writing style i feel like in the hands of a different author harry's background would have been mined for emotional tragedy a lot sooner and i'm not saying that i want that to happen it's just i think that in the hands of a different author his first christmas at hogwarts i'm sure there would have been an insert about harry would have thought that this is what christmas would have been like if his parents were alive or when he first gets dropped off at king station harry looks around at all the parents dropping off their children and thinks about what it would have been like if his parents were also there at king's cross station i imagine that in the hands of a different author all of those bits would have actually been a part of the story and you wouldn't feel like harry never thinks about his parents i think in the hands of a different author it'll be a very different harry then yeah so i think that jk rowling kind of skips those beats because harry does not know what he's missing also he doesn't actively stop to think if i had parents it might feel like this if i had parents it might feel like that in fact i think what some of the moments in the series where he does think of that he's actively confronted with someone trying to take the role and he realizes that oh this is what it feels like i think jk rowling does not talk about harry missing his parents so much because harry is the kind of person who represses that side of it he understands that there is no use going down that rabbit hole because one he, he does not know them so hermione thinks that harry's parents would never want him going after sirius black but the truth is hermione or harry no one knows about what they would think for all you know harry's parents who were against voldemort themselves might want harry to stand up and fight stand up and fight serious black stand up and fight voldemort but he doesn't know she doesn't know so we are talking about people whose mind no one can read the fact that harry does not look like he's finding for his parents often is completely a part of his character we know that harry feels emotionally detached when it comes to most things and i am sure that part of it comes from this trying to suppress his parents's death and logic his way out of it rather than dealing with it you're right he does feel emotionally detached a lot so much so that when the moments of emotion happen they are so emotional <laughs> it's either explosive or no reaction at all when harry does feel emotional it hits hard yeah right the things that affect harry affect the reader also a lot which which i can attribute a lot to jk rowling's writing style also the example that you used of what hermione says your mum and dad wouldn't want you to get hurt would they they'd never want you to go looking for black i'll never know what they'd have wanted because thanks to black i've never spoken to them said harry shortly that line is enough to stop anybody i'm saying that he's trying to make a logical point here he's not even trying to play the emotional card yeah i'm also surprised by the fact that ron asks harry not to call voldemort by his name he hasn't done that in a long time because i think they haven't spoken about voldemort in a long time i have a feeling that it, it might also be because now that sirius black is out and the threat is constantly around them he feels that it's more real than he has ever felt before yeah that makes sense i feel like the threat of voldemort is very distant most of the time for them at least that it's now more real than ever because the supporter of his is on the loose yeah. he was in the castle trying to get into their common room it's really scary so the three of them decide to go talk to hagrid harry is all ready for a fight but hagrid is in a very bad shape because 
the school governors think that Hagrid is not at fault for Buckbeak the hippogriff attacking Malfoy, but they still want to deal with the creature and they are building up a case against the creature. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Hagrid being let to walk scot-free by the school governors is just really dumb goes to prove that the wizarding world sensibilities are so different than ours because teachers in the real world get mobbed by parents and get fired for doing less damage than Hagrid. Yeah. How can they possibly hold a beast responsible for something that's in its nature? It almost seems like they know Hagrid so well that they have decided that harming the beast is the best punishment for Hagrid. I was also surprised to discover that Hagrid might be a bad teacher but he's like very astute. He can tell that no one likes his classes. And I'm not really surprised they involve feeding lettuce to slimy things. Of course, no one likes them. Another thing that I noted was, there was a curious way in which Hagrid talks about the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. He says that the committee is out to get interesting creatures. It clearly shows that what others consider dangerous or terrifying, Hagrid considers interesting. I also found it really interesting that uh, Harry, Ron and Hermione also take note of the statement and the way Harry processes it in his head is really funny. He thinks about some of the interesting creatures that Hagrid has spoken about and realizes that by their standards, Buckbeak is positively cute. That is true. Compared to Norbert or Aragog, (laughs) Buckbeak is cute. (laughs) I like that everybody wants to help in their own way and tell Hagrid that they'll get Buckbeak out of this no matter what. And when he's still upset, Ron offers to make tea. (laughs) I agree with him. Tea is a great beverage for when you're sad. Yeah, nothing seems quite as bad as when you're drinking tea. At this point, Harry does not want to confront Hagrid because he's so sad. And they end up talking about Hagrid's time in Azkaban. This is the first time that Hagrid is talking about it and they are a little shocked and dazed because Hagrid just agrees with what most people say about Dementors. They're horrible creatures and they feed on happiness. And that it doesn't matter whether you're innocent or not, they treat you the same way as anybody who's done like heinous crimes. And it's very sad, but also interesting to see that when Hagrid relives his most horrible memories in Dementors' presence, one of the memories is the day he gave up Norbert the, the dragon. And what we thought of as like a random side plot seems to have affected Hagrid so much that he puts it on the same spot as his father dying and him getting expelled from Hogwarts. Yeah, Azkaban sounds like a really horrible place and like it might be the prison reserved for some seriously horrendous crimes. Anything else seems wildly out of proportion. You cannot put someone who stole something in a place that is designed to suck like the complete happiness out of you. It's horrible that even crimes like letting the hippogriff go might put Hagrid in Azkaban. There has to be a smaller prison without dementors for petty crimes. And since when is thwarting the school governors a crime that can put you in prison? I think it's just going against the law and not necessarily thwarting school governors. I also thought it was interesting what Hagrid says about the Dementors, that they weren't keen on letting him go. Something else that's implying that Dementors can actually communicate their feelings and their intentions and that they're in charge of the prison they're capable of admin work figuring out who should be kept there and who shouldn't be or at least of receiving communication that indicates who should be kept there and who shouldn't be i agree i think they do something with their hands (laughs) okay sign language i'm imagining defenders (laughs) communicating using sign language
the visit to hagrid definitely distracts harry the first thing they do when they leave hagrid is to go to the library and find books that will help them make a case for bugbeak's continued existence and time passes like that it's almost christmas the decorations definitely cheer them up a little bit thick streamers of holly and mistletoe were strung along the corridors mysterious lights shone from inside every suit of armor and the great hall was filled with its usual 12 christmas trees glittering with golden stars there are not a lot of people in the school yet they have pulled out all stops and decorated in such a magnificent way and that's really nice of them yeah but you know what else christmas means presents yes actually the reading the christmas presents descriptions are my favorite parts of harry potter i don't know why i get some sort of weird high from reading about <laughs> the kinds of presents that harry receives yeah that's definitely a high point for me too except i'm always bothered by this question of how the presents get delivered differently on christmas day alone i always think of it as the house elves sort of intercept the presents and make sure that they're there only on christmas morning it's like extra work But it's so much fun. It's there only on Christmas morning. But my question is like, what if you send something that is not meant as a Christmas present to someone and the house elves intercept it like that? I don't know. That doesn't come up. Anyway, Harry wakes up to a bunch of Christmas presents. Yes. He opens Mrs. Weasley's sweater, mm-hmm. which has a lion knitted in the front, right? Yes. Ron ends up getting the same old maroon sweater. And he has some sweets. He has some... Mince meat pie. <laughs> yeah. and the next thing you know he is in possession of another really cool broomstick it's not just a broomstick like not just any old broomstick but it's the firebolt the broomstick that harry went to admire all those times in diagon alley and it's so beautiful except there's no card like someone spent a buttload of money on him but didn't tell him who spent it if i were ron i'd be so jealous first the nimbus 2000 then the marauders map no firebolt people keep giving harry stuff i know i would understand that harry's life is not something that i would want to trade with but i will definitely be a little jealous yeah i want free stuff too i think i might have been particularly mad about the marauders map considering it was his own siblings that gave it to harry yeah ron's own mother thinks that he is not worth a fancy sweater it's always the same sweater and he does not have fancy stuff knitted in the front of his one yeah he only gets the letter r but you know he also gets maroon socks which harry did not get and it's funny to see that when they are figuring out who it could be that sent firebolt ron casually drops the information that lupin who was supposedly ill was not in the hospital wing it's a massive like hint hint <laughs> i don't understand is this supposed to be a signal of something sinister because he might have been ill and resting in his own bed too yeah it's possible i wouldn't be in the hospital wing if you know if i had like a stomach flu yeah something that's treatable and something that just requires bed rest you can just be home but i agree with harry that i too cannot see lupin affording this and that i don't think he's dressing shabbily because he has money and he likes to dress that way i mean he's not like a startup founder to like dress shabbily because he can They rule out Dumbledore and McGonagall too because Harry himself says that they wouldn't want to come across as showing favoritism. Wait, I'm going to stop you there. They rule out Dumbledore. Nobody rules out McGonagall. That's true. They don't talk about McGonagall. Yep, they think it might be Dumbledore. They think it might be Lupin. 
and then they're just like who this broomstick nobody talks about mcgonagall the person who gave him the first broomstick that harry ever had yeah. i was so upset when i read this part <laughs> that's true that should have been their first guess i understand why they think it might be dumbledore because the previous sender of unclaimed present was dumbledore yeah. but the previous buyer of his broom was mcgonagall <laughs> I think that maybe they just concluded that she would never buy something that's so expensive. She bought the Nimbus 2000. No, but that's because Harry was just getting into the team. He was very young mm-hmm. and honestly doesn't know one broomstick from the other. And she was really excited that they finally found a seeker. Yeah. None of those cases are true currently. Except for the fact that she might feel sorry for him. Yeah. Because of Black and his broomstick and the Dementors. and she knows now that harry has enough money to buy a decent broomstick i think she would have known at that point as well no but he was still a kid and he was brand new i don't think she even taught many classes to him or like got to know him before she did that yeah i agree with you there are many reasons why mcgonagall wouldn't have given harry the broomstick but i was just upset that these guys wouldn't even think of her as a possible gifter Hermione is understandably suspicious though. Yes. I mean, who would send Harry something so expensive? Something Harry would love to use, something Harry has a need to use, something that when used could leave him defenseless. Who would send him a perfect gift mm-hmm. and not leave a note? Everything about this is fishy. I think the discussion might have turned into a serious argument if it weren't for Crookshanks that Hermione brings into the dorm. because Crookshank chooses this moment to go straight for scabbers and Ron just goes ballistic. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just Ron. Harry's sneakoscope makes a surprise appearance again. I feel like the sneakoscope is saying something that nobody ever takes seriously, like not <laughs> one person. I think J.K. Rowling tries a bit hard to throw us off the track of the possible person who's colluding with Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. And there are many moments where you are trained to doubt people like i thought of it as maybe a detail that she added in for repeat readers first time readers might find this weird both appearances of the sneakoscope as just you know just something weird that's happening but repeat readers will understand yeah it might be like a tiny detail to make everything more authentic as possible so that when you go back and reread it you're like aha She's been hinting at it the whole time and it wasn't just shoehorned in the end. They go to the great hall after that to have their Christmas dinner and they notice that all the long house tables are gone. There are only a very few people in the whole school. There is just a circular table with a bunch of teachers and students. And it's very interesting to see that initially there are 12 people and Hagrid is not there. Lupin is not there. And Trelawney comes down from her tower to be a part of this dinner because her inner eye said so. Yeah. And she makes the 13th person. And they all sit down for their meal. And Trelawney makes this announcement. Never forget that when 13 dine together, the first to rise will be the first to die. And McGonagall retorts saying, We'll risk it, Sybil. Do sit down. The turkey's getting stone cold. I feel like McGonagall is totally on point during this full dinner. feast yeah the way she baits trelawney is incredible my favorite line after the axe murderer one of course is when she says professor mcgonagall poked a large spoon into the nearest tureen tripe sibyl this works on multiple levels tripe is a dish which is kind of disgusting it's apparently the first or second stomach of a cow uh-huh. but tripe also means nonsense <laughs> 
it is yeah. such a killer line <laughs> and she mocks her for not seeing with her inner eye that lupin could not join because he was ill mm-hmm. and when sibyl retorts that she often acts like she does not know everything so that people around her are not nervous that explains a great deal said professor mcgonagall tartly it's just so hot that it could just burn a hole through the floor yes <laughs> Yeah, McGonagall is like on fire during this whole Christmas dinner. I'd also like to call out that I am reading the Jim K illustrated edition for the 100th time. <laughs> I'm going to state that. There is a very nice illustration of Dumbledore in the vulture hat that Snape gets from the cracker and he looks a lot like my favorite Dumbledore, Dumbledore hash one. Just want to drop that. <laughs> and one more thing to note here is Trelawney likes to do her solitary luncheon in her tower. that means that that is an option for teachers and snape doesn't take that option he acts like he hates people but i think he secretly likes them yeah i think he wants to be there just so he can be like a menace yeah what is something important happens yeah he wants to be in the thick of things or it could be dumbledore dumbledore's doing yeah it could be interesting thing is all the teachers are talking very openly in front of the few students about lupin Yes. Dumbledore even asks Snape if he'd given him the potion and it makes me seem like Dumbledore actually wants to talk about it and remove the stigma out of it. I thought so too, but then I wondered if this was another detail that when you're rereading you're supposed to be like aha, it was there in front of me all this time and I didn't know. <laughs> Except you couldn't have possibly known because you don't know enough information about said syndrome. Yeah. And even for the characters within this universe, Ron and Harry, there are multiple hints about how Lupin is afraid of crystal balls. The Bogart changes into a crystal ball and Trelawney says that she offered to crystal gaze for Lupin and he declined. And they don't connect the dot fast enough. This actually even makes Hermione crazy. Uh, she thinks that it's absurd that yes. they are not able to figure out what's going on with Lupin yet. At this point though Hermione is on good terms with both Harry and Ron. They have a nice dinner that lasts for 2 hours and at the end of it Harry and Ron get up from the table at the same time. And Trelawney makes a scene out of it. She asks them like who got up first and they don't know. And McGonagall retorts saying, "I doubt it will make much difference," said Professor McGonagall coldly. unless a mad axman is waiting outside the doors to slaughter the first into the entrance hall in the movie there is actually a mad axman around there is there is a guy with an axe who's uh-huh. constantly like honing it uh-huh he's supposedly the hippogriff executioner oh yeah and he he's is constantly shown in the movie okay i assumed you meant that there is literally a portrait of like say a mad axman <laughs> waiting in the great hall which i think would have been a great easter egg if they had <laughs> it in the movie but it's one of my most favorite mcgonagall lines because mcgonagall dismisses the whole superstition ron also seems to be a little okay with laughing at it right now usually he believes in these things he believes in what trelawney says but this time he thinks it's okay they're not going to die they go back and they see that sir cadagan is having a christmas party with monks and other headmasters of hogwarts sir cadagan whose own horse once hated him has definitely climbed the social ladder in improved standing ever since he became the gryffindor common rooms portrait it also begs the question how does harry recognize former headmasters of hogwarts but minor detail everybody's having fun 
they go back to the common room harry gets his firebolt and his broomstick polishing kit cuz he doesn't know what to do with the firebolt <laughs> there's nothing to clean there's nothing to trim there's nothing to polish so you just sit there admiring the firebolt until the portrait swings open and mcgonagall climbs into the common room now we've never seen mcgonagall in the common room outside of the time that she proclaimed that the school was shutting down and that the hogwarts express would be taking students back to their homes McGonagall is there because Hermione went to her and told her about the firebolt and they both share the same suspicion that Sirius Black sent Harry the firebolt and he doesn't mean it in a you know i killed your parents here have a firebolt manner but in a sinister manner so McGonagall ends up taking the firebolt away the reason i was surprised that Hermione happened to be there is because it is such an awkward exchange to be there for if i had been the person who snitched on my friends to a teacher even if i done it for the best of reasons hermione is not doing it because she's jealous or because she wants it for herself or because she doesn't want harry to have a new broom or anything but because she's worried about him i know that my friends wouldn't take it well so i would have definitely not been there for that moment i would have been in the library i would have been in the girls dormitory i don't know somewhere else anywhere else but there you're forgetting an important fact that hermione is first and foremost a gryffindor she's brave enough to be there but also she needs to be there so she can deliver the climactic line that you know that they think that the firebolt might have been sent by Sirius Black this leads to the biggest rift between Harry and Ron on one side and Hermione on one side Harry and Ron start ignoring Hermione something that they have never done since they befriended her in the first year with this we move on to chapter 12 the patronus so at the beginning of this particular chapter the lines are very clearly drawn between our favorite trio but hermione is certain that she's right which is why she completely stays out of their way they mention that they don't see her from christmas to new year which is a full 5 days in fact harry talks about how he's relieved when everybody comes back because then it doesn't have to be just the three of them in the tower even everybody coming back doesn't necessarily mean that harry can just get away from this whole firebolt situation one of the first things that wood talks to him about when he comes in fact wood doesn't even talk to him about his broomstick the way wood talks to harry it makes it sound like wood wants to replace harry as seeker until harry says that he is going to have classes with lupin to help him deal with the dementors that's the one wood backs down and says i'm so glad i didn't want to lose you as seeker he's ready to kick harry out of the team Yeah, which shows the extent to which Wood will go to win the Quidditch Cup, right? I guess that's the captain's job. I would expect that Wood might suggest that Harry like get some help rather than <laughs> kick him off the team, but it doesn't matter because Harry's got this situation covered anyway. All his classes start for Harry again, not just Lupin's. Hagrid's class is unusually good because Hagrid has now ditched the flobberworms who are all dead. from overeating and he has them gather wood to feed a bonfire full of salamanders this looks so beautiful in the illustrated edition in fact oh. both the pages that describe the events that i just spoke about have the background as salamanders crawling across the pages and it's <laughs> like this lovely warm orange it's beautiful i like that they made a big deal out of this tiny little scene i agree I feel like these little details are what actually gives me joy of reading the illustrated edition because I've read just the bare words many times but I really feel like Jim K understands the source material he reads it and understands it as a reader and a fan and then illustrates it because he picks tiny details and uses them as relief through the whole book and I really enjoy reading the books because of it and this is totally not a plug for his work but the goblet of fire is going to come out in october oh nice which i'm really excited about yeah 
so it's past christmas and lupin had promised harry that he will teach him how to fight the dementors after christmas so harry goes and asks lupin after a class he's really in need of this right now because of what wood told him and also personally he is tired of being the person running away lupin and harry working on something together is especially exciting because lupin is cast both as this great teacher but also there are like some uh, secrets about him that makes him suspicious in the whole series black thing it's like we are getting to know lupin a little better and we are closer to solving this mystery and that makes this session really exciting It's an exciting session for many reasons. For one thing, Lupin thinks of an ingenious way in which Harry can face a dementor without actually facing a dementor. He finds a bogart which is hiding in a cabinet in Filch's office and he brings it to the classroom so that Harry doesn't have to imagine that there's a dementor or you know think like it might be like this and I might have to use the spell like this or have an actual dementor there. The way Lupin explains it, the key to defending yourself against the dementor is actually really straightforward straightforward only in the sense that the explanation is very straightforward the dementor represents say like depression the key to defending yourself is to just focus on a single happy memory when you do and you use this spell it summons something a guardian a spirit of sort that represents the hope and happiness of that memory but has none of the despair that humans feel normally J.K. Rowling makes an especial mention that because the Petronas can't feel despair like humans can, the Dementors can't affect it. So it can defeat them. This explanation sounds really straightforward. All Harry has to do is think of a happy memory and then use the spell against the Dementor. But obviously it's not that easy. In fact, Lupin says that this is beyond the ordinary visiting level. Harry needs two more years to even reach the ordinary visiting level and this is even beyond that. And he says that most adult witches and wizards have trouble with this. Overall, Harry has a really hard task in front of him. It's also really interesting to see the whole depression metaphor being played out here. It's almost as if J.K. Rowling is saying that the only way to overcome depression is to remember who you are. and remember your happy memories and use them to push against it i also realized that i would love to know how to transport a bogart like how did lupin manage to lure one out put it in a box carry it <laughs> to the classroom did you also notice that he refers to the bogart as him and not it hmm that's interesting bogarts have genders i don't think bogarts have genders i think that lupin respects magical creatures in a different sense than how hagrid does I have a feeling that we know where it's coming from. I also thought it was interesting that the bogart doesn't just assume the physical appearance of a dementor but it actually becomes a dementor in every sense of the word that when it becomes a dementor for Harry like the classroom lights flicker as though the dementor only works in darkness. We notice this in the train as well right before the dementor comes on the train the lights go out and similarly here the lights go out it's as though like the presence of the dementor means there must be darkness metaphorically yes i think light and sunshine can be linked to happiness and darkness can be linked to sadness i was actually pretty excited that by the end harry does manage to produce something like a defense against the dementor even though it's a really sad moment for him he not only hears his mom's last words but also his dad for the first time ever and this moment like really affected me 
just harry's conversation with with himself the feeling of being torn between wanting to hear more of his parents the only way only connection that he actually has with his parents and then wanting to not be affected by this so much was so deeply hurtful it is heartbreaking and it's not just that the fact that lupin is there also makes this all the more sadder because it's not just harry who's getting affected every time harry talks about hearing his parents and how he's hearing his mother's and voldemort's voice louder or he's hearing his father now lupin has a reaction that's very mild but also it chips away at you like it's very emotional like when lupin says you heard james it really breaks my heart he doesn't say anything else but you feel like there's so much history there and so many emotions going on and i really want to explore this year of lupin in the final episode we really need to talk about lupin's arc throughout the whole book i also realized that what is happening with the dementors for harry is sort of an extreme version of what happened to him in year 1 with the mirror of erised except in the mirror of erised he could only see an image of his parents he sort of overcame that and hagrid presented him with a photo book so that he can look at his parents' pictures anytime he wants but no one can actually help harry overcome this like hearing their dying moments is the closest he can be to them and there's nothing that anybody can do to change that I think I said in the beginning of this episode too this moment is actually very similar to the mirror of erised moment this is the second time we are going deep into what harry actually thinks about his parents and or how he feels about them being dead so after the first session he goes to this secluded place and eats some chocolate and talks to himself and i feel like this is the first insight we are getting into how he actually deals with this he looks so brave it feels like he's dealing with it in the right way but it's heartbreaking and just the scale of things that he's talking about he thinks about how he's torn between wanting to hear his dead parents a little bit more and that's stopping him from playing quidditch the scale of things is just so jarring for me <laughs> even i thought so at the end of the day we have to understand that he's a 13 year old boy no i think quidditch is a big part of who he is yeah and quidditch helps him overcome a lot of the hardships he faces i think we discussed this in season 1 itself being a part of a team sport really helped him get out of that shell because when he first came in he did not know anything about anything he had all this fame that he felt like he did not earn so from being a complete outsider or like someone who's always kept on a pedestal quidditch was the way for him to earn the respect of his peers and it definitely plays a big part in his happiness and his mental sanity because every time he faces hardships this gets him out like for example even now he was so hell bent on going after serious black right now the only reason he's not going after him is because of quidditch he has practice three times a week the tires him out enough that he cannot even think about serious black right now and it is honestly surprising that he is making no effort to go after serious black this means that harry is not as reckless as we always think he is he is definitely a lot more responsible than we give him credit for and he values his school his friends and quidditch this is definitely something he's built for himself and he values it enough to not ditch it and go looking for something and put himself in harm's way Harry is still afraid that he'll not be able to ward off dementors if they show up in the next match that is Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw because he hasn't successfully done it yet i mean there was this one instance in the first session where he was able to do it but that's it and that took like mammoth effort he compares the amount of exhaustion he has at the end of a session with lupin to six quidditch practices so that's the level of commitment that he has but he's still worried that 
this might not work out but lupin has faith lupin thinks that coming this far it's a big deal and he would have honestly been astounded if he was able to do more than what he is able to do right now and honestly it's not like harry is hermione i think harry isn't hermione only in the sense though that hermione puts in a lot of effort with respect to like learning from books looking at ways in which she can work on things but harry is a doer he's not a researcher i think they put the same amount of effort into like doing things it's just she puts way more effort into researching things harry is so busy right now that he has no time for anything else but ron is not and ron is singularly obsessed with solving the mystery of hermione's timetable <laughs> on the list of things that ron is mad at hermione about is like the firebolt the scabbers and then there's what is happening with her timetable <laughs> Yeah. As usual, he's the only person who's like constantly noting where Hermione is, what she is doing. And this is when Harry is doing his homework, which is described as finishing a nasty essay on undetectable poisons. I wonder how an essay can be nasty. Is it long? Is it difficult? I think it might be difficult. And he's sitting there and Harry is like he did not have the time to fathom the mystery of Hermione's impossible timetable at the moment. I'm like when did you ever have the moment Harry? I know. You have never had the moment. He never gives it a second thought. Honestly, what does Ron do when Harry is not around? Harry has only one free evening left. Ron has all this time. I wonder what he does. And I wonder what he is without Harry. to his friends to everybody in the common room yeah i wonder at those possibilities as well yeah and he is not just without harry he's also without hermione he must miss them i wonder what everybody else thinks about their rift i'm sure it's very obvious to the other people in the common room yeah and what's interesting is i've observed people who are ignored and what they go through what they do is very similar to what hermione does now she doesn't make eye contact she doesn't talk to them she tries to keep out of their way and she goes into the shell she doesn't talk to anybody it's not like she make other friends she doesn't talk to anybody and she does not make any attempt at reconciliation i've seen this behavior with other people who usually cross a line and get ignored as one of their punishments it's interesting that jk rowling has captured that aspect so perfectly i thought it was very similar to when Harry and Hermione lost all those school points back in the first book and the entire school ignores them but except i think they were both there that's definitely more tolerable than being the only person ignored by the only two people who are your friends it's quite sad at this point wood comes to harry and recounts the conversation he had with mcconagall about the firebolt bad news harry i've just been to see professor mcgonagall about the firebolt she uh... got a bit shirty with me told me i got my priorities wrong seemed to think i cared more about winning the cup than i do about you staying alive just because i told her i didn't care if it threw you off as long as you caught the snitch on it first wood shook his head in disbelief honestly the way she was yelling at me you think i'd said something terrible this conversation definitely proves that jkr meant for wood to be a joke he's a stand in for everyone who's singularly obsessed with something to the point of insanity Yeah, but the only thing that's actually working out for Wood is that Harry's anti-dementor lessons are going pretty well. In a few sessions, Harry is able to produce a silver wisp, which Lupin is very impressed with. So much so that he actually surprises Harry with a present from Hogsmeade, butterbeer, and Harry gives himself away as someone who has actually tried butterbeer and then just tries to like hide it by saying like, "Oh, Ron and Hermione got me some from Hogsmeade," something that Lupin's not really buying but is willing to just go with. 
at this point they have a very interesting conversation about dementors i like harry's questions a lot he really cuts to the heart of the matter he asks what's under a dementor's hood he he's not asking like what happens if if a dementor gets a hold of you for a long period of time or anything like that but he wants to know like what do they actually look like lupin also has an interesting answer to provide he says that no one actually can tell you because the people who know are in no condition to actually tell you and that's when harry learns about something that in the wizarding world is referred to as a dementor's kiss which is such a horrid horrid name for what happens when a dementor gets a hold of you so they like supposedly clamp their jaws upon the mouth of the victim and suck out his soul i don't know if this means that in the wizarding world they believe in the concept of a soul and a body because once the dementor kisses you you have no sense of self anymore there's no more memory there's nothing you exist your brain works in the sense that you breathe and you see things but there's nothing in your head registering those things at all you're just an empty shell and that sounds horrible lupin also mentions that this is the fate that awaits serious black this leads up to one of the most important and interesting conversations that happens in the series i would say harry sat stunned for a moment at the idea of someone having their soul sucked out through their mouth but then he thought of black he deserves it he said suddenly you think so said lupin lightly do you really think anyone deserves that yes said harry defiantly for for some things as a child it's very easy to think that everything is black and white but even though lupin thinks that serious black is in the wrong here when harry asks him if he knew serious black lupin says that i thought i did he knows that serious black did something really wrong yet he cannot wish that upon him this shows lupin's empathy but also a deeper question of morality that adults have to deal with that's why lupin is so special i think he's an important positive influence in harry's life and in a way that's very different than dumbledore can ever be because lupin is all human he's grounded he's not like a friend like hagrid is to harry he's a teacher but he's also someone who looks out for harry i think that it's really important for harry to have someone like that at this stage yeah so harry has this totally serious conversation with lupin and he's still like lost thinking of what is underneath the dementor's hood when he runs into mcgonagall on the stairs and it completely lifts up his mood because guess what she's carrying she's carrying his firebolt and she's giving it back to him and there's apparently nothing wrong with it at all and they couldn't find anything and he can use it in his match against Ravenclaw. So Harry's like really excited. He runs back to Gryffindor Tower with his firebolt. Ron Ron is there and Ron is really excited about it and they're both so excited about it they're actually willing to like forgive Hermione. I like that that's the first thing they think of. Yes, they're not like, "Oh, you know what, we have it back. Go to the thing." They immediately think of like, "You know what? Let's just go talk to Hermione." Like she was only trying to help. And as soon as they bring the firebolt in, the whole common room like takes note everybody's so excited about it they want to know how he got it they want to take it for a ride they tell him that he'll definitely win against the raven class now and the only person who who doesn't seem to be excited or doesn't seem to be expressing any excitement is hermione and harry first wants to talk to her so ron offers to keep the broomstick back in the dorm while harry goes and talks to her he gets a few words in and we actually see that all the badgering that ron did did have an impact on harry because the first thing he asks hermione is how she's managing so much workload yeah and that she looks so tired 
and when harry suggests that she drop a couple of subjects hermione gets like really scandalized like of course i can't do that like i can't give up halfway she also just starts to talk about how cool arithmancy is when a cry from the dorm stops them in their tracks turns out to be ron and he's really really mad he comes and he waves like this bedsheet in hermione's face look he yelled shaking the sheets in her face ron what scabbers look scabbers and then harry realizes that there's something red on it something that looks a lot like blood at this point i'd like to mention again that jim k is amazing because these two pages that deal with this incident have little red spots on it nice touch <laughs> yeah he's so cool anyway back to the point harry realizes there's something red on it and ron identifies it as blood and that scabbers is gone he finds orange cat hairs on his bedsheet it looks like Hermione and Ron's friendship has ended. Through the last 3 chapters, the Scabbers versus Crookshanks story is always in the background. There are like so many other important things going on with Harry and Ron and Hermione and Lupin and Hagrid, but the pet story is always running. Harry catches Crookshanks trying to sneak into the boys' dorm on the morning of his first match, and there are many descriptions of how Crookshanks is constantly monitoring Ron and how Scabbers is constantly fidgeting and scared he even pounces on ron during christmas day that we discussed in this episode and ron mentions how scabbers is lo- losing his weight and his fur because he is stressed by crookshanks and things come to a head when harry and ron are about to make up with hermione sadly it's very unfortunate that this had to happen but i like that this is something that's been building up for a long time between ron and hermione instead of randomly brushing it away they have to deal with it now Harry completely thinks that Crookshanks is completely capable of eating scabbers and Hermione thinks that it's not fair for Ron to assume that Crookshanks was behind this and that the cat hair might have been there ever since Christmas but overall Ron and Hermione are at a stage where they just cannot see reason they just cannot see eye to eye on anything That brings us to the end of today's episode thank you for listening you can check out our website at membleweb.in You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MimbleWimblePod. You can also follow our personal handles. Aishwarya is at Valley and the Chim and I am at underscore Empress. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. Leave us a review on iTunes and let us know by commenting on our website. See you in the next episode. Until next time. Blood! Blood!